0: Hi, I'm Paul Spellman. This is, I Have a Story About That. Welcome. This is a new podcast. This is my first episode. I did a pilot uh, that's also out there for you to take a listen to. And I hope you're going to enjoy my stories. Um, What I like to do is look at a piece of history, U.S. history, uh, world history, maybe even some local histories here and there, and um, tell a little bit about what the actual event was, some of the people involved, but then tell some side stories, maybe some personal stories of research I've done or uh, that other people have done or some trivia, hopefully interesting stories for you. And so uh, today, uh, this episode is called Finding Zadok and Minerva. Zadok and Minerva Cottle Woods are a very typical couple from the uh, Western settlements of the American frontier in the late 1700s and the early 1800s. There's nothing really special about them. There's nothing famous about them. Uh, You'd be hard-pressed to find much in a newspaper about them uh, along the way. But they represent that average, typical, uh, restless, adventurous fearless uh, family that made their way across the American frontier, made their way from the East Coast, across the Mississippi River Valley, and finally into Texas. And So I want to talk a little bit about their story today, but more importantly I I want to talk about some of my own uh, trials and tribulations in trying to find them. Early on when I was first doing work on the Woods family, it was one thing just to find out which Zadok Woods we were talking about, and exactly uh, where he was born, those kinds of things, you know, just to kind of get started. Because they're not um, your um, above-average or special family, uh, they didn't just appear on some front page in a book somewhere. So I had to go looking, which is what I like to do. And so I, was, uh, I, I had Zadok and I I knew he was born in 1773. I was pretty sure he was born in Massachusetts but not entirely clear about that. I also knew that his future wife Minerva Cottlewoods was born three years later in 1776. I knew they got married in 1798. The story I had was that they had gotten married in Vermont. Well, For starters, then, I would need to make sure that I had Zadok in Massachusetts and then figure out how he got to Vermont and why and meeting Minerva and so on. And then following them uh, along their own trail of life uh, over the several decades that followed. But I needed to make sure, at least at the beginning, uh, that I had the right Zadok Woods and I had him in the right place and I knew exactly where he might have been born. And so to do that, I began looking around, I looked in the census records, I looked in several archives and some local libraries in several different places, but still was unsuccessful in pinning down who his parents were, because finding his parents would get me on the right trail to tell his story along the way. But the several different stories and uh, other research I had done, um, they just didn't make that connection for me. I was getting a little frustrated. Some of you who do research, some of you who do genealogy, you know what I'm talking about. This is uh, frustrating sometimes, but always great when you finally have an answer, and I finally found an answer in the most unlikeliest of places. I was actually doing some different research on a different topic and different people having to do with the Alamo and the story of the Alamo in 1836 in Texas. A very familiar story to most people. And at the Alamo grounds there used to be a library uh, sponsored and operated by the Daughters of the Republic of Texas. It's no longer there. That's another story we'll have to tell sometime. But I went there to the uh, archival library to begin working on some other information and just out of curiosity even though Zadok never had any direct connection to the Alamo but would end up in Texas during that period of time I asked the uh, the archivist who was helping me if they had any files on Zadok Woods and lo and behold they did and so they brought me this rather small uh, file folder not much in it but one of the things in there was some research done by a distant distant cousin many decades earlier who had pinned down the fact that Zadok's parents were Jonathan Woods and Kesiah Keith both from the Massachusetts area. I had their names now, I had their own dates of birth and death and that Zadok was one of their three children along with Martin and Jonathan Jr. Well that was a great find and that really uh, got me started on the way. Uh, by the way, just another side story also in that folder was a small slip of paper uh, just like torn off from a small little ledger or something like that it, there was writing on it and pencil that was very very faint because it turned out it was a very very old slip of paper and so I was looking at it, and uh, someone had obviously just put it in that folder somewhere along the way, and it appeared to be a receipt for a wagon load of corn that had been purchased from Zadok Woods when he lived in the Lagrange, Texas era, uh, area. Area, um, and uh, this receipt was signed Daniel Cloud. Now. At first, that didn't make a real impression with me, but the more I thought about that, there wasn't a date uh, on that particular slip of paper, but the more I thought about it, the more that name rang a bell. And I talked to the archivist about it, whose eyes widened as she said, I know who that is. Daniel Cloud was a member of David Crockett's Tennessee Volunteers who came to Texas and fought and died at the Alamo. Daniel Cloud was a young 18-year-old from Tennessee who had accompanied uh, Crockett on their way to Texas, and somewhere along the way, probably early February of 1836, had been making their way uh, through the trail that went past Woods Inn near LaGrange, and had purchased a wagon load of corn for the remainder of their journey now that's really remarkable that you know a little bitty piece of paper like that would survive literally for a hundred and sixty years somewhere along the way ending up at the uh, library at the Alamo and being at least somewhat safely placed uh, in this uh, particular folder I'm not so sure that anyone had ever seen that again until I opened up that folder looking for Zadok's parents so A great story, a great find, a really great treasure, uh, that little slip of paper, part of the legend and lore, facts and fiction of the Alamo. So now it was time to do a little research in terms of finding Zadok's birthplace and where he was raised uh, as a young boy, and that meant going to Massachusetts. So let's go to Massachusetts and let's see what's going on up there. If uh, Massachusetts is a wonderful place to visit, and I hope that you get a chance to do that if you haven't before, but about uh, 70 miles west of Boston and about 40 miles east of Springfield, which is on the beautiful Connecticut River Valley, is a small little community called Brookfield, Massachusetts. The research I had done indicated that Jonathan and Keziah had moved there uh, to an area outside of Brookfield. Now, as you know, in Massachusetts and several other places in New England, they have a funny habit of naming towns back in the colonial days. They would, uh, for example, there's a Brookfield, and then there's a North Brookfield, and then there's a West Brookfield, and then there was an East Brookfield. I never could locate a South Brookfield, but you get the idea that um, people would uh, start a small village somewhere, and then as they branched out a little bit into the uh, farm country, they would have other small villages pop up, and for want of better names, I suppose, um, would, uh, would be talking about, um, you know, this Brookfield and that one, and so on. Anyway, so if you go um, um, out west of... Um, Boston. You can take the Massachusetts Turnpike, Interstate uh, 90, and you come to Brookfield. You drive up through Brookfield and then get on um, 148, which is a little state road that goes up through uh, Brookfield and out heads north into some absolutely beautiful rolling country Uh, with some small natural ponds and uh, a couple of rivers one called the five mile river and a little to the west the ware river and so on then uh, 148 bumps into state highway 67 and it heads kind of north northwest a few miles a little farther out uh, into this beautiful country and as you're going along uh, 67 now you're probably six or seven miles north of Brookfield. If you look off to the west, look off to your left as you're driving north. Now, although there's a lot of trees there, it's beautiful woodlands and some still forested areas there, even today. But as you peek through some of these forested areas, uh, you'll just see uh, such beautiful land. And there are a couple of little side roads that are much, not much more than little dusty roads. But if you take one of those, it takes you out into that country. And right out there, uh, there's a small pond among many. And uh, when I was there, out on the northwest end of it, was a beaver dam. Uh, they're prolific in that particular area of central Massachusetts. And so right there in that little valley is where uh, Jonathan and Keziah Keith Woods settled in way back around 1770 and three years later uh, Zadok was born. It's great to to be able to actually go kind of on location as you know and actually stand there and look at the beautiful country, the wildlife that would have been there, uh, plentiful fresh water in all directions, good farming soil, also good for uh, uh, livestock as well, uh... then the picturesque little pond with the beaver dam on one end it's lovely country and even here now in the twenty-first century there's some pretty open country out there in central massachusetts so that's brookfield and, and you can imagine a young boy like Zadok uh, adventurous uh, pretty fearless uh, outdoors all the time uh... with his two brothers uh... living the life out there in that rural country And as he grew, uh, got involved in um, uh, stonemasonry and construction. And so as a a young man uh, decided that being a stonemason would be the career that he would set forward. And so he apprenticed for a couple of years as a stonemason. All right, so that's the story of Zadok, found in Brookfield, uh, raised there until probably he was about 25 years old. Now, the next connection trying to make with Zadig was that I knew from other records I had found that in 1798, he and Minerva Cottle were married and in Vermont. Well, that meant, you know, a trip up to Vermont to see where that might have taken place and to try to find some kind of corroboration that that wedding had taken place and uh... this site and so on uh, where this might have taken place now if you're going to leave brookfield um, we'll drive back down the little brookfield and then we'll get back on the turnpike if you'd like to we'll go over to um, highway ninety one uh... interstate highway ninety one which uh... curls north right along uh... the beautiful connecticut river valley and if you make your way uh... north uh, uh, along the uh, Connecticut River Valley. Ultimately you'll cross the boundaries into Vermont and then as you're making your way up to Vermont you might first come to the town of Woodstock. Now, uh, Woodstock is a lovely town, very touristy, lots of artisans who live there, uh, a really wonderful place to visit, very nice, but that's not where we're going. Uh, go to Woodstock, Spend a night or two there, do the gift shops, walk the town, visit with the people. Uh, it's a terrific place uh, to be. But at some point along the way, we're now about um, several hours northeast of Albany, New York, just to get your bearings straight, and just east of the Green Mountain National Forest. So if we leave out of um, Woodstock and drive south on State Highway 106 for about 20 minutes we will make our way through absolutely beautiful country and into a little town called South Woodstock. South Woodstock is in the lovely picturesque Kedron Valley in many ways very similar I think to the beautiful area of uh, central Massachusetts all that part of the middle of New England But as you make your way down there um, uh, on Highway 106, coming down out of Woodstock, you come into South Woodstock. Now, right before you get into the little town, and there's not much to it, there's a country store and several other buildings. But just, oh, a thousand yards before you get there, on the right is uh, the Gristmill House, which is an inn, a kind of uh, bed and breakfast kind of place. Very nice. Good place to stay. I would recommend that very much. And in fact, I'll tell you a story because when I was there, uh, we mentioned uh, that uh, we were working on Zadok Woods, which suddenly turned us into VIPs at the gristmill. Zadok's name is quite prominent in that uh, particular area, after all, which was very encouraging to me uh, the fact that we were onto something here that we might be able to get some real evidence or records about Zadok being there. The proprietor of the Gristmill House knew a little bit about Zadok. I was able to tell him a little bit more information, which he was very pleased to hear. And then he pointed across the little street there, and uh, there was a building. And this is an old, old building, brick. It has uh, It's not very large, maybe um, uh, 800 square feet, something like that. And it had not one, not two, but three um, chimneys, Uh, on three of its four sides. Um, That was pretty remarkable to have three chimneys on a relatively small little edifice. And I inquired about that building and the proprietor said he didn't know for absolutely sure, but the story in town was that that building may have actually been built by Zadok uh, when he was there uh, in South Woodstock. And perhaps even Uh, Kind of surmising at this point a house he built for him and his new bride, Minerva Cottle. Well, that was pretty exciting. Uh, We didn't have any uh, real record to uh, substantiate that, but it's a good story, and I like the story. And you can imagine a stonemason wanting to impress his uh, bride-to-be and her father uh, by building this uh, terrific little house, with not one but three fireplaces uh, to keep them warm in the chill of winter in New England. Originally, South Woodstock was actually organized by the Cottle family, a large group of brothers and sisters and cousins who made their way there from Martha's Vineyard uh, in the 1780s, when Vermont was being opened up and eventually became a state of the United States, um in the 1790s and they were there early on and had started this town that they named after their own family and they were about seven or eight brothers and others who had built right, like homes along the Kedron Valley and so on and so um, we were, were there in what is now South Woodstock and we uh, the next morning we drove uh, just another half block down there and there's the uh, country store right on a curve Uh, of uh, South Woodstock. We went inside and uh, greeted the folks there, very nice folks, and chatted with them for a few minutes, asked them a few questions. They didn't seem to know a lot of answers one way or another, but one of them finally sort of pointed across the street and he said, you see that uh, church there? Um, It's no longer a church, it's been abandoned for a long time, but recently uh, people have been working on it to turn it into kind of a local museum. So you might go over there and see if there's some records uh, in that uh, in that old church. Well, that was pretty exciting. So we walked across the street and walked up to this uh, beautiful uh, white spired building. And the door was wide open, so we went inside, but there was no one there. The place still looked fairly abandoned, although someone obviously had come in, cleaned it up, and done a little bit of work on it. There were a few old uh, desks students' desks uh, sitting here and there, uh, a couple other pieces of furniture that looked to be fairly antique along the way. There's a small second floor. We walked upstairs to see what we could find there. Uh, Nothing much up there either, and again, nobody in the building. So a little discouraged, not having found any kind of files or records or people who could help us, we came back downstairs and started for the front door. There was a little ante room just off the front door uh, and lobby area, and so I peeked in it. It was empty, but as I looked around the corner, down on the floor was an old floor safe. Not probably an antique, but It had been there a very, very long time. The safe door was open and spilled out onto the floor were all kinds of pieces of paper and sheaves of of paper of one kind or another uh, just kind of jumbled and piled on the floor, some still inside the safe, some kind of laying around. Well, for want of finding anything else, we took a few minutes and sat down on the floor and began leafing our way uh, through these piles of paper. Most of them seemed to be one kind or another of receipts or records, didn't seem to be anything of great particular value, although some of the dates, as we got more and more towards the bottom of the pile, seemed to get pretty old back into the 1800s and so on. And then near the bottom of the pile, about halfway out of the safe, actually, was a long dark blue uh, ledger one that you would find probably in a general store from early 19th century. So we pull this ledger up out of the pile and open up to the front, and sure enough, this was a ledger from the general store in Cottletown. Town, and the first date on the front page of this ledger was 1798. Well, you know, I mean... It, for, for those of you who don't do this kind of research and go on these kinds of adventures, let me tell you, it's just, it's just exciting when you come across something like that. Uh, there you were right in the place where you needed to be looking at the very thing that might have the information that you've been seeking. So it began to, um, you know, leaf through this uh, ledger. And on each page, it's really, you know, it's long, so it's like legal size links. So there were maybe 25 entries on each page, on each side, where the um, store uh, clerk had written down the name of the person the, uh, who was there, the consumer, and what they had purchased and how much that purchase cost. And then a little check mark at the end, which I believe meant that at the end of the month, then that person would come back and pay his or her bills. So I began looking through these names, and a lot of them uh, became familiar to me. Lots of Coddles, of course, and a few other names I recognized. I went through uh, August and September of 1798, About midway through this ledger, I'm looking in the middle of October now, of 1798, and there on one of those pages, about a third of the way down, uh, the clerk had written Zadok Woods. He had purchased some nails. This is a great discovery and a great moment for people doing this kind of work. I kept looking about three or four pages later, now near the end of October, I found his name a second time. I found it a third time around mid-November, and once again, early in December. In the December entry, he had bought some nails, but he'd also bought some ribbon. Now, from my earlier work that I had done, the indication was that um, Zadik and Minerva had married possibly in December of 1798, thus perhaps the ribbons as part of that gift. Well, uh, as I sat there on the floor marveling at uh, what I had found, I mean that's just uh, so exciting to do that, Um, it was now time to go and uh, I stood there um, in that room for a moment staring at that ledger, wondering whatever would happen to it, wondering if I were to put it under my arm and take it home with me, it would be a lot safer and be much more of a treasure to share, but that just didn't seem the right thing to do. And so with um, some reluctance, I placed the ledger back in the safe and walked away, regretting that on the one hand, but knowing that was probably the right thing to do. If There was no one there to ask permission. uh, I didn't want to just uh, walk away with it. Now the rest of that story is that about 10 years later a cousin of mine, uh, I had told this story a couple of times along the way, a cousin of mine came to me and he said, oh by the way our family took a trip up to New England uh, this last summer and uh, we were traveling through Vermont and we were staying in Woodstock and I remembered your story And so we took a little detour and we drove down to South Woodstock and I found that building you were talking about and I went inside and he said there wasn't anybody there but the door was open. He said there was some furniture in there and he said I turned to the little ante room that you had told about and this time to find that there were actually some tables that had been set up, display tables, glass cases, some things on the wall. The little safe was still there in the corner, but it had now been sort of rearranged. There were some things stacked in there, and then displays of several items and artifacts in the rest of the room. He said, I just wanted you to know, I saw the ledger. It looks to be safe and sound. Clearly, someone has done some work uh, to preserve that area and that story. Made me feel very good. And then... I had the opportunity a couple of years after that to travel back up to New England, and when I did, uh, went once again to South Woodstock, uh, went there uh, to the building, so happy to see things much better organized, still nobody in the building, and still the door open, but at any rate... um, it was still nice to see that someone had actually been working on that. It made me feel very good. I found the ledger, looked back through it one more time, and actually left a business card in there, just in case somewhere along the way somebody would come across it and want to know a little bit about the story. So, finding Zadok has been uh, quite the adventure, and we've only just begun. Uh, these stories just get us started. Uh, we do know that, in fact, in 1798, uh, Zadok, and Minerva Cottle were married. With the grudging approval of her parents, her father, the deacon uh, there in the town, did not think much of this young stonemason who had come up there to, uh, to get some work and had uh, been smitten by his daughter. Um, He had probably looked for a better arranged marriage than that one, but Zadok was a hard worker and apparently persuasive, and apparently Minerva uh, fell madly in love with him because uh, they were married there in Cottle Town. Later I found the records in the state records that indicated uh, that they had in fact been married there. Uh, The Cottle's approved, or at least gave their blessing at some level, And for about the next uh, two years, uh, this is where Zadok and Minerva uh, lived. That building with the three chimneys may have been where they lived. And their first child, a daughter, also named Minerva, was born there in 1799. But the story now takes a whole new set of turns, as we're going to go in a completely different direction as we're approaching a brand new century, uh, whole new adventures await Zadok and Minerva and little Minerva. Uh, and in the next episode of Finding Zadok, we'll look and see where he heads as they head across the American frontier. So stay tuned. I hope you enjoyed this. And uh, look for the next episode. It'll be episode two of I Have a Story About That. My name is Paul Spellman. Thanks for sharing some time with me.